grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Savior Jesus, who has overcome the world. Dear friends, this morning we're continuing our, our series called Free. It's about finding the truth of God's word that sets us free from the, the mindsets and mentalities and lies that would trap us. It's important to have that, too, because the, if you remember the kind of the overarching, the big idea for our series is that my beliefs influence my attitude and my behavior, right? What I think about someone or what I believe about someone or something, it, it impacts the way that I think and the way that I act. That's true, right? Yeah. Really, it's true of just about everyone and everything in our lives. If we think that person is a jerk, we're probably going to act and think of them differently than if we think of that person as a dear, dear friend. Right? What I believe impacts my thoughts and my actions. And it's important to, to get a handle on that, to really grasp that, because it helps us understand our, our thinking, it helps us understand our emotions, and that's especially helpful when we catch ourselves, when we find out that we are believing something that simply is not true. Because when we believe a lie, our thoughts and our actions that result from that, that flow out of that, well, they're all based on something that simply isn't true. And this morning, that, that brings us to what we're talking about. It's, it's what our lie is. It's the first fill in the blank this morning. The lie is that life should be easy. Now, if you ask anyone to rationally stop and think about that for a moment, they will tell you that's just not true. Life isn't easy. Life is hard. And in case you didn't know, hard is the opposite of easy. But we believe this, don't we? We believe it because really we, we want it to be true. And so there are, are, are different times in our lives when we face, when we get pulled into the trap of this lie because that's what lives do. They, they trap us. Maybe you have had a, a particularly difficult season of life, a particularly difficult stretch. Maybe it's days, maybe it's weeks, maybe it's even months of heartache and hardship and difficulty. And, well, you think, it really shouldn't be this hard. That's just another way of saying life should be easy. Or, Maybe you, you take a look and you see others, other people's lives and you see what's on the surface of their lives and you look at it and you, you know the difficulty and problems that you have and you see their life and you think, man, I, I have it so much worse. They have so much more than me. They, they have so many fewer problems. Everything is so much easier for them. It's not fair. And what you're really telling yourself, in a way, is life should be easy. Because when you look at others and you think that their life is easy, well, you want the same for yourself. My life should be as easy as their life at least seems to be. But here's the thing. It's our first takeaway this morning, and 
it's probably not shocking. Life is, easy. Life isn't easy. It's hard. And it's filled with all kinds of problems. Hopefully you knew that before you came in here this morning. I'm pretty sure we all live in the reality that life is not easy. And yet, we want that lie to be true. It's important, though, that we understand this simple baseline. Life is not easy. Life is filled with problems because if you believe that lie, if you believe that life should be easy, it traps you in the way you think and in the way you act. Let me give you some examples. Kids, if you think life should be easy, then every time your parents ask you to do a chore... Every time your parents tell you to clean your room or to do your homework or anything else, they're the worst human beings in the world. Right? They're not simply trying to teach you responsibility and give you some ownership as a part of the family. They are horrible creatures because life is supposed to be easy and I just want to play video games and watch TV and hang out with my friends. If you believe that life should be easy and you have a boss that has expectations and assigns deadlines and, and holds their employees accountable, well, then that boss is not a, it's, they're not a good boss. They're not a, just a faithful employee. Oh, no, they're an office tyrant. How dare they hold me to do things that I'm supposed to be doing? If you think life should be easy, then every difficulty, every challenge, every heartache, every hardship, every problem is punishment. And you start to get into this mindset of poor me. And here's where this really dives into a dangerous spiritual issue. Because if you believe that life should be easy, and you don't believe in God, you probably point to that lie as evidence that there is no God. Or if there is, he certainly isn't a loving one. Because if God's all-powerful, and God is loving, and life should be easy, then why doesn't God, who controls all things, just make life easy for me? If you believe that life should be easy and you do believe in God, you probably have found yourself at times wrestling in your heart and in your mind and trying to reconcile God's power and God's love and my problems and my heartache and my difficulties. And trying to grasp how can God say this is good and God be good. See, and really where this leaves you is with a viewpoint of the world that isn't healthy. Because you look at the world then, if you believe that life should be easy, then really everything is all about me. If I think life should be easy, then really life is just about what I want. Because that's what's going to make it easy for me right? I don't care about you. It's just going to be what's easy for me, what makes me happy, what's good for me, all about my, my pleasure. 
And that's a dangerous thing, isn't it? In fact, it's not just dangerous. It's if you open up the Bible to pretty much any part, especially in the New Testament, right, that last third of of the Bible, if you open up to almost any page, you will find out not only is it unhealthy, but it's pretty much the opposite of what God says over and over and over and over and over. And he talks about how our problems, so often, that's not God saying, ha, I'm going to put something on you and you're not going to like it. That's the result of me and my own brokenness and my own sin and my own beliefs about how things should be and it impacts how I think and how I act. And God helps me see in his word how just truly, how truly broken in sin I am. That not only do I sin, but I have it as a part of me. But then he also helps me see in his word over and over and over again how much he loves me. That he would give up the perfection and the glory and the ease of heaven. Where nothing is ever wrong, where everything is all about God and he left it to come here so that he could be ridiculed and mocked, so that he could live in our place perfectly the way God says, so that he could die for you and for me, and he could rise again to prove he had conquered sin and death and the devil, that that our salvation is 100% sure and certain. And if we see those two things, that I am, I am broken and God has made me whole spiritually because of Jesus. That God has saved me in spite of my brokenness. That changes how I view things. It changes the way that I look at life. Because my life is no longer just about me, right? If it's just about me, I'm still, it's just going to be as broken as it was before. But when I understand that God has saved me, And there's nothing I needed to do. In fact, there's nothing I could do. And God did it often in spite of me. And that's how much he loves me. That he would live and die for me and save me and call me to faith that trusts in him. Then my life is really about God. And when I understand that my life is really about God and about living not just for me and my pleasure, but living for God and his glory, but about whatever I eat or drink or whatever I do, that it's all done for the glory of God, the Bible says, right? That if that's my mindset, it it changes how I view life, that it's not just about what I want, how how is this going to work out for me, what's good for me, but it's about how does this serve God, how does this bring glory to God, and how God uses you and me to be lights, right? So that our our words and our actions shine God's glory to those around us. Because you see, there's a reason you're still here. If you think about it, once you know Jesus, once you believe in Jesus as your Savior, what's the best thing God could do for you? From a viewpoint that my life is about God, the best thing God could do is take me home. Because heaven is my home. We just sang that. But God has chosen not to do that. He has you here, not just on earth, but in this place, surrounded by these people at this specific time, because he wants your words and your actions 
to be a beacon of light, to let people know about his goodness and his love. God has a purpose and a plan for you and for me. And it's important that you have that viewpoint as we read these verses this morning. Because it's drastically different from the viewpoint of the world that says it's all about me and my pleasure. But when you grasp, when you get that this, my life is about God, well, then you're, you're ready to read the verses from James. It's vitally important that you have that mindset because otherwise, I'll be honest, you might blow your mind. If it doesn't blow your mind, you're going to look at it and go, no way. Because James writes some words that are difficult for us because they're written for Christians. They're written for people who know what God has done and who understand that their life is, is lived out of love and service for God. So let's take a look at those verses from James, beginning at verse 1 in chapter 1. First of all, he identifies himself at the beginning of the letter. He says, James, and then his qualifications, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a letter. Who's it to? To the 12 tribes, believers, scattered among the nations. Greetings. And then he says, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. This is why I said it might blow your mind if you didn't understand that this is all about God. Because, notice what does he say? He says, consider it pure joy. Okay, I like things. Things are good, right? That give me joy, that give me happiness. When you face trials of many kinds. Whoa. Trials of many kinds, you mean... Emotional struggles, yep. Family heartache, yep. Sickness, health issues, yep. Fears, yep. Worries, yep. All of them. All of the different trials that we face in life. And notice he says, whenever, right? So first of all, this is going to happen. It's not if, right? This is going to happen. And notice he doesn't even say when, giving you the, perhaps the thinking that this might just happen once or twice or a couple times in my life. He says, whenever, it's going to happen. It's going to happen a lot. It's going to happen pretty much all through your life. And he wants us to understand that just because you're a Christian does not mean you're exempt from struggles, from troubles, from difficulty. Life isn't going to be easy. If you thought it was, I'm sorry. However, he does say there is a good purpose to this. See, God uses the difficulty, the hardship, the heartache, the sorrow, the, the pain that we face, and he uses it for a good purpose. He uses it, he says, to produce perseverance. Now, the Greek word there is literally hippomone. It means to remain under, right? Um, that there's this force pressing down on you, this difficulty, this hardship, this heartache, this sorrow that's pressing down, and you're able to remain under it, to persevere, to endure, to have patience. Sometimes it used to be translated long-suffering, right? Fairly fitting. 
God wants us to understand that these trials serve a good purpose. In fact, he says it's the testing of your faith. Here's the trouble, though. Who in here thinks a test is a good thing? Oh, don't even try. Middle schoolers don't ever think tests are good. High school, sorry. Sorry, Aiden. Nobody thinks tests are good because, well, what, there's a chance that you're going to what? A test. You're going to fail. That's how we view tests, right? That, that tests are something that, that we either pass or we fail. And so there's this big, huge, massive negative associated with a test. Whether it's in school, right, passing a science test, or passing a bar exam, or a med board, or passing your driver's test, right, that there is this chance you are going to fail outright. That's not the kind of test God is talking about. That's not really the purpose of the test God is talking about. If we understand testing from from a bigger perspective, a different perspective, actually from a teacher perspective, right? A test for a teacher is not a chance to see you fail. A test from a teacher's perspective is to see where you are weak. See, and that's what God is using tests for. Not because God doesn't know what our weaknesses are, but because oftentimes we don't. We get into self-reliant mode, into self-sufficient mode, into I-can-do-this mode. We think, I got this. And God says, my dear son, my dear daughter, you are relying on the wrong person. And it's going to hurt. And so he allows us to go through tests to identify our own weaknesses. Because when we recognize where we're weak, what do we also want? We also want to find the strength to cover that up. But God says, you're not going to find the strength in yourself because he is our strength. And so really, God allows us to go through these tests, right? The testing of our faith to lead us to our second takeaway, that God allows trials in my faith to grow my trust in him. Because that is our strength. He is our strength. And when I trust him, that's when I'm strong, so that I rely on him more fully. God tells us that very thing In the next verse of our text, James 1, verse 4, he says, let perseverance, that being, right, remaining when you're pushed down on, let it finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, God has this desire for you that that you, if you're a parent, you have for your kids. You want them to grow up, but not just in size, right? You want them to grow up to mature And to move out, to have productive and healthy lives, right? God wants the same for you and me. He wants us to be mature Christians and not just because our hair changes color and we can apply for a senior discount. God wants us to be mature. What does that mean? It means that we've faced difficulty, that we've faced hardship, we've faced suffering and pain And every time we do, we don't just throw up our hands and go, but we've faced it and we've seen how 
reliance on God, how he is our strength, and he will lead me through this one, and he will lead me through this one, because he has every time before. And I see that in the history of my life, and in the history of God's word, and I see how God brings me through trials, how he is my strength, how he is my peace. God wants us to be mature so that we rely and trust in him to rest fully on his promises. Because God makes some amazing promises. And he wants us to cling to them, to know them, to rely on them, to go back to his word and say, Lord, you promised. And then to go to him in prayer and say, Lord, you say I'm your child. You say that you love me. You say you promise all of these things and you promise that every promise is kept, that your word never fails. Lord, help. And there it is. Because that's what God longs for. That's why he allows us to face trials. It's our our third takeaway this morning that God allows us to face all of these difficulties because do you understand when you do, and God brings you through them. You have a new, understand a new depth of God's love. You see a whole new facet of peace that, that you just didn't even see before. You have this whole new perspective on life because you have a renewed hope because God has brought you through again. That's what we see in our, our third takeaway, that God enables me to find joy. Even in my trials. Because I'm confident that he is working this for my good and something far greater is ahead. And that last phrase, something far greater, that's what we find in the last verse of our text this morning. God says, blessed is the one who perseveres. There's that word again. Perseveres under trial Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. See, God promises that when you persevere through sickness, through hardship, through heartache, through turmoil, he says, when you cling to me through all of that, you will be blessed. It's kind of funny, isn't it? Because usually... When we use the term blessed, we need to, we're often thinking, hey, how's it going today? Oh, I'm so blessed, right? When things go your way and, and everything's coming up aces, hey, I'm blessed. Life is good because life should be easy. And so that's where, where we need to be careful in the way that we use that word. That we don't just use it when things are on the surface good, but when things are in my heart good. When things are in my soul good because of what God says. Because God is talking about here, you are blessed not when everything goes your way. Not when you're living a time of plenty. Not when the season of life is easy, but when it's hard. When it's difficult. When it hurts. And you cling to God to bring you through. And you trust him for your strength. That's when you are blessed. He says you're blessed not because you're naive and you don't realize how difficult it is or you're, you're blind to just how bad this really is, 
but you're blessed because you trust. You trust in the one who is the source of peace and hope, and who in spite of the difficulty and through the difficulty gives you them, gives you all of them. And then he says, and I will give you, ah, that crown. The crown that you can't see you're wearing right now, but the crown that he has for you. The crown of life. So I want to share one more Bible verse with you this morning that has to do with endurance and suffering, and it has to do with perseverance and, and facing difficulty, but it's not about your suffering, and it's not about your perseverance, and it's not about your enduring. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 12. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the one who started and perfecter, the one who brought to completion our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Uh, right hand of the throne of God, excuse me. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Who's the one who endured? Jesus. Incidentally, that word endure is the same Greek word as persevere, hippomone, that Jesus endured, right? He endured opposition. We know that. He endured opposition from his enemies, but even endured opposition from his friends, from his family, even from his closest disciples. And then Jesus endured something far greater. He endured, he persevered the cross. See, because Jesus knew what was coming, right? I mean, we know that he got to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed, Lord, if there's another way. And he didn't get to that point where Judas came up to him and say, nah, I'm just not going to do this. <laughs> this is going to be bad and I'm out of here. Nope, he allowed Judas to give him the kiss of betrayal. He allowed his hands to be tied. He allowed the spitters to spit. He allowed the mockers to mock. He endured the beating, the whipping, even the nails. And then he endured the worst thing of all. He endured the wrath of God for sins that he had not committed but that we have. And he endured it all did you catch why? For the joy set before him. You know what that joy was? It was you. You were the joy. You were the joy that was on his heart and on his mind as he faced all of it. The whipping, the beating, the mocking, the spitting, the, the wrath of God for sin, and he took it all because of you. The joy of having you know peace with God. The joy of having you live in forgiveness instead of guilt. The joy of you having the crown of life with him in heaven forever. That was the joy set before him. You were the joy set before him. None of his pain and suffering and death were easy or happy or fun. But 
they were good. That's why we call that day Good Friday. Because Jesus endured for you, for me. He saw the joy, the joy for you. And so he endured, and that's our our last takeaway this morning, that Jesus endured my sins so that I might joyfully wear his crown of life. That testing, that trial, the pain, the difficulty, the hardship, what God allows us to go through, it's not fun. It's not easy, that's for sure. But God promises he works it for our spiritual good to develop maturity, to make us whole in our faith, to bring us through and trusting in him. So let me share with you one last story. Anybody know who that man is? I don't expect that you do. He lives in New Jersey. He's a member of the New Jersey State Legislature. Anybody know who that guy laying on the ground is? He's a man that, when he was an 18-year-old kid, corner, played cornerback for the University of Penn State, or Penn State U, I should say, was, placed, was put in the game, and when he went to make a tackle, he dropped his head. And that meant his neck was in a straight line, and he was hit on the top of his head, and he crumpled in a heap to the ground. He was unable to move. The coaches, the trainers came running out, and he couldn't even roll over. That man's name was Adam Taliaferro. That's Adam Taliaferro. Now, if Adam had looked at life as this should be easy, it wouldn't be surprising to find him angry and depressed, to find him bitter, because he had... At that point in his life, it was easy, right? 18 years ago, he was a, a healthy athlete on a full-ride scholarship to play, to play football. Life was good, and in one second, it was all gone. But he persevered. Against all odds, he learned to walk again. Against all odds, he finished school. He's a lawyer, he's an advocate, he's a speaker, and he's now serving the New Jersey legislature. Does that mean life is easy? Nope. Every day he has to wake up and go through a regiment of exercises and, and stretching so that he can walk. He'll never run. He can't run with his kids. Life is difficult and he knows that it's only going to be more difficult. And yet, he persevered. And let me share with you the headline that that caught my eye that reminded me of this story. It was a headline this week as Penn State prepared to play Ohio State, the game that he was injured in 18 years ago. And here's what the headline was. 18 years after his injury, Adam Taliaferro continues to find joy in his post-football life. Continues to find joy joy. Now he finds joy in his kids. He finds joy in his job. He finds joy in encouraging others and advocating for others. But he sees that his purpose is bigger, doesn't he? That it's not just about living for himself. How cool that we get that and then some. As we learn that lesson that life isn't about me, but life is about God who loves me and saved me, we get to find joy. Even in the trials, 
even in the tests, even in the hardships and difficulties. And we get to do so for a much greater purpose, with a much better hope, for a much bigger joy. Because Jesus has given you and given me a crown. It's a crown for life. For life with him in eternity. In glory that never fades. And so, dear friends, as you face difficulty, as you face trials, set your eyes on Jesus, who endured the cross for you because of you are his joy. Trust him, cling to him, because you have a Savior who promises to bring you through every trial you face and bring you to heaven with him. Amen.